Thank you very much for the welcome. And welcome to all of you joining us in our different centres for the launch of this new series, Whatever You Do, which is a phrase uh, taken out of a key verse from Colossians uh, in the New Testament, which tells us that whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as though working for Jesus himself. So this series is about saying that uh, all of life, every activity under the sun that we're involved in that is not sin, all of life is in service to Jesus as Christians at work in the world. And so this series has the potential not only to be some new ideas or revelation, it will be that, but also a new vision, not just showing us what to see, but showing us how to see the world in a new way. Uh, I was watching on YouTube recently some clips of people who had been colorblind. So they saw the world black and white, and, uh, and then they had um, new corrective glasses given to them that had been produced. And as they put them on and saw color in, the, in a new way for the first time, it's amazing to see the response because they're now seeing the world in a new way. And uh, as they begin to explore the world, the same world they were living in, but now with new vision, there's a new kind of energy and excitement that you can see if you watch these clips. Well, I was thinking for some of us, it might be that this series has the potential to be almost like corrective vision that means that we go out into all of our activities in the world, seeing the world in color as we were always meant to. Because there is a wrong theology, an inappropriate way of understanding the world, which is to imagine that the only things that are spiritual or worshipful are, the, are things that happen in church. Now, what we do in church is spiritual and it is worshipful, but we, we need to have a much better vision for the world than that. Amen? It's not just what we do in here that's spiritual. It's whatever you do, you're doing for Christ. All of life is worship to Jesus. That kind of corrective vision could help us to see the world in a whole new color. So the headline of this series, um, perhaps uh, this message and this series as a whole, I've summed it up like this. You can see on the screen, our work matters to God, whatever you do. And he wants to help us to do it and to prosper in it. Can I say that again? Our work matters to God, whatever you do. Amen? So he wants to help us do it. He cares about it. He wants to help us do it and prosper us in it. In fact, whatever else you get out of this message, here's something you can take into your work in this coming week, whatever you do. There's a verse in Psalm 90, verse 17, which I love, and it says this, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, prosper the work of our hands. Now, isn't that a beautiful prayer to take out into whatever you do this week? Lord, prosper the work of our hands. Well, this is the idea of this series. Now, it's worth saying that by work, we don't mean a narrow definition of paid employment. We mean work in the broadest sense of whatever you do, right? So whether that's work in the home, in the church, in an office environment, in the community, in a sports club, for charity, volunteering or getting paid, whatever you do, let's have full color vision that life is spiritual and God values my work and he wants to help me do it and prosper me in it. Well, to give a, an overview today, that's what today is. Today is teeing up this series by a high altitude overview, a vision of the big picture. And I want to explore actually the entire Bible story, rather ambitious, uh, in this message by talking through the storyline of the Bible as a story of God's work in the world 
and how he invites us to partner with him. I think that's absolutely key, that we join the dots and make the connection between what we're doing in the world and what God's doing in the world, right? And we understand that we are to go out into the world in partnership with God. And that's a very exciting thing. I don't know if you've had this experience. Maybe you're a parent of working, inviting your children into doing jobs with you. And whilst there can be certain frustrations involved in that and the pace can slow down somewhat, there's a great reward, isn't there, in a parent and a child doing jobs together and feeling the sense of satisfaction when something's accomplished. Well, think of life this way. God, our Father, invites us as his children to partner with him at work in the world. So let me talk through the story. You can see on the screen a large visual. This is our roadmap for where we're going today. We're going to go from creation all the way through to new creation um, under these kinds of headings. Firstly, we're going to look at creation and realize that work is good. When God made the world beautiful and everything was perfect, that included our work. Then we're going to see the fall, right? And in the fall, we're going to recognize that things have gone wrong with this world. It's come under a curse, including our work. And then we're going to see that through Israel, Christ is introduced to the story as the one to put all things right again, including our work. And then we're going to see the moment of the story called the church. This is where we fit in. This is a live story, and we're part of it. And this church moment is where Jesus fills his people with the Spirit and sends them out to serve him in the world, including in our work. And finally, we'll glimpse a new creation, the hope of a resurrection glory that means once again, all things will be glorious, including our work. Does that sound all right? That's the big roadmap. Let's dive in then at the first of those, which is creation. And this affirms the point that work is good. Now, I may need to labor this point, if you get the pun, because uh, actually, for many of us, work can feel stressful, there's pressures, there's deadlines, and we can only imagine that work has been introduced because things have gone wrong. In a perfect world, it would be an endless bank holiday, (laughs) but because sin has entered the world, we have to go to work, or we have to take responsibility in life. Well, actually... We need to completely, if we're going to prosper in our work, whatever we do, we've got to rethink this one and go back to the beginning and realize right at the very beginning, before anything had gone wrong, work was good. In fact, God himself is at work in the world before there is any sin and he is perfectly holy. So if it's good enough for God, it's probably good enough for us, right? God is at work. The picture in the Bible is not simply of Mary Poppins clicking her fingers and the room is tidy, right? God actually in Genesis 2 is depicted as one who gets his hands dirty with the work. He is depicted as a gardener planting a garden. This is God himself now. He's a gardener. Then he takes dust and as a sculptor forms a man. And then he takes a rib from the man and as a surgeon makes a wife, Eve, for Adam. God is a gardener, a sculptor. A surgeon, God is at work to fashion this world. And we read in Genesis 2, listen to these words, we read this. On the seventh day, God finished his work and rested from all the work that he had done. God works. 
Work is good from the very beginning. This is actually a very different picture. The Bible's view of God is very different to other narratives. There were other rival accounts at the time when Genesis was around. There were rival versions, stories of how this world came into being. And in those stories, the gods, so-called gods, were much more like the kind of bosses some of us maybe used to. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. And so they made human beings to do the tasks they didn't want to do. (laughs) But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible gets his hands dirty in the Old Testament, in creation. In the New Testament, the Son of God, no surprise, spends a considerable proportion of his life as a carpenter working with wood and making furniture. Now think about that. If you're involved in manual labor, Jesus did that before you did it. Think about that. Whatever your work is in the world, God has modeled and honored and valued work as a good thing. Amen? We need to remind ourselves of this. Within the pressures and stresses of our working lives and our work in the world, work is a good thing. And therefore, it's actually a holy thing. It's a vocation, not just a job. The reason we work is not just to earn money, but because we're made to work and we're called to work. The word vocation comes from a Latin word, vocare, which is the verb to call. The idea is that God has a calling on all of our lives. Whatever you do is an expression of your calling from God to work in partnership with him in the world. Calling is not just something for pastors and priests. It's something that all God's people are issued from God, a calling into the world. We're made to work and we're called to work, and that's why When we don't have work, it can be a very painful experience. We can feel quite empty and disconnected from life because we were made to work. And that's why when we do have work, particularly when we have work that resonates with how God's made us to be, it can be one of the deeply satisfying experiences of life. I was talking to a few people in preparing this message, just talking to a few people who are Christians who are at work in the world and asking them about what it was that brought them satisfaction in their job. One of them was a kitchen designer and they said that when they have designed just a a kitchen that is going to absolutely serve the family that will live in it and have a beautiful arrangement that works for the family, they feel deep satisfaction in that. I spoke to a dentist who was saying that when they fit a crown and it just is the perfect alignment, for a rematch for the persons, they feel such a satisfaction in that work. A bricklayer talking about getting the the square, I wasn't completely sure what he meant, but talking about the square and the alignment and the symmetry. The satisfaction of a job well done is a feeling that work is good. Have you had this feeling? I hope so. Have you ever had that feeling where you realize that actually, yes, I may be getting paid to do this job, but even if I wasn't getting paid, I'd want to do this. This is important. This is work well done. The reward is in the work itself. I actually believe back in creation, in the original arrangement, that was how it was. In the perfect world, you would work and not get paid for that work. Why? Because the work itself was so rewarding. That's how it was meant to be. Work is good, and this is part of our holy vocation and calling. And we need to embrace it, not as a necessary evil or just a way to pay the bills, but a holy calling in the world. Work is good. But secondly, in the story, the fall tells us that work is good, creation, but the fall, work is hard. Now, I realize some of us are thinking this. Some of us are thinking, well, Andy, this is all very nice and romantic and idealistic, but have you actually ever had a job? (laughs) Have you ever really done a day's work and realized work is hard, right? 
<laughs> well, I have, actually. I, I, know, I know that some of you will, will know a lot more about the real world of work than I do, but I, I remember one t- I spent uh, several weeks working in the benefits agency, and I can never move on from that experience in understanding the hardness of work, because all I did for weeks on end was there were records, of medical records, of people that had actually already died, but apparently they had to be kept uh, in the filing cabinet, but there were too many to fit in the filing cabinet, so for weeks I pulled the pink slip off the front of every dead person's medical records that they would fit in the filing cabinet, only to be told that they were going to be digitized anyway. (laughs) So it was completely pointless and mindless for weeks. So I understand there are frustrations in work, right? Sometimes you think, I don't even know why I'm doing this. And then other times you might be doing something incredibly valuable and it's going really well and then something cuts in on it. I can remember as a lecturer, we were doing a really great job and we were really seeing lives transformed and then the funding ran out and there were redundancies and people were left out of work. And you think, why has this happened when it was so meaningful and making such a difference and then funding cuts and it's gone. Work is hard. We live in a world that is no longer the perfect ideal it was meant to be. We no longer, we've changed our workplace. We're no longer working in Eden, have you noticed? And so we read uh, in Genesis 3 that after the, the fall of human beings away from God, as they turned away from him, Genesis 3.17 says this, This is God speaking to the human beings, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil and the sweat of your brow, you will now eat your food. Do you understand what's being said here? The whole world is now coming under curses, including our work. So work is not a curse, but it is coming under these curses. It's still a good thing, but now it's going to be a hard thing in a different environment. Now the ground will bear thorns and thistles in the garden and viruses in our computers, right? And curses in spreadsheets and health and safety induction videos. Have you ever watched one of those? I've never felt the ground more cursed than watching a health and safety induction video. These realities are the painful realities of a working environment where your boss may be something of a bully. Or you may be a boss under incredible stress with targets that you can't reach and budgets that are being cut. And you think, work is hard. These are the realities of life in a fallen world. And sometimes this dose of realism is important because otherwise we can grow up as a generation, particularly the Google generation, the millennial generation, growing up almost imagining that life is meant to have a perfect dream job, the world is your oyster, and that we should be able to almost be parachuted to the top of the mountain with minimal responsibility and pressure, but making an incredible difference in the world while sitting on a sofa sipping another flat white. Right? Well, well, life is a bit more complicated than that in this fallen world. We're not in Eden anymore. You will have to shoulder responsibility, and you won't start at the top of the mountain, and there will be pressure and deadlines. And it, sometimes it will feel like, even if you work incredibly hard, you don't feel like you're doing anything very well. Have you ever had that experience? This is life in a fallen world. Work is good, but also work is hard. Can I encourage you, as you interpret these realities, not to interpret them wrongly? Here's, here's one wrong way to interpret it. When work is hard, we can sometimes think, well, I'm in the wrong job. Or the other way we interpret it is, is I'm doing a bad job. Now, it's possible you're in the wrong job, and it's possible you are doing a bad job, but it's also possible that work is hard. <laughs> and neither of those things are true. 
It's not actually that you're in the wrong job. It's just you have to get used to shouldering the responsibilities and the pressures of life in a fallen world. And it may not be that you're doing a bad job and that you're a failure. It may just be that there are certain pressures that make your work a real challenge. Now, I believe that despite the fact this world is hard and cursed, actually, God's people can experience a blessing over the curses. Amen? Amen? I mean, you only have to look at the story of Joseph, as we'll unpack later in this series, to realize you can work in an incredibly stressful environment and still prosper through the blessing of the Lord. So you may be struggling in a business setting because of the Brexit scenario and the political challenges right now. Listen, I want to encourage you, even though it may be very hard circumstances economically, the Lord can prosper us over these challenges. And right now, what God needs is for his people to dig in And be pillars of strength and robust in an uncertain time not to quit. You may be parenting. I'm parenting. It's a very challenging environment culturally right now to navigate a minefield of issues and raise godly children in the world. Listen, it's hard, but God can help us, right? We can have support from others. We can find in the stresses of the work that we can gather others around us. We can read helpful books. We can study the word and pray and actually experience blessings over the curses and challenges. Work is good. Work is hard, but God can bless us. Amen? So work is good, creation. Work is hard, the fall. And then thirdly, Christ, the work is finished, or the work is done. I want to just emphasize here that as the story unfolds through Israel, God promises and then delivers the Messiah, Jesus Christ, into the world And Jesus Christ arrives in the story to put right these things that have gone wrong. And he does this in particular by shouldering on himself the curses of this fallen world, even to death on a cross. Now think about this. In the garden, God said to Adam, now you will sweat and toil for your labor. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweat drops of blood as he took all of this fallen reality on himself and took it to the cross. What a savior. And therefore on the cross, having taken the ultimate burden, having carried the ultimate responsibility for this entire human story on the cross, knowing a point of accomplishment and completion had been reached, he cried out those famous words in John 19. We read these, the simple phrase later, knowing that all was now completed, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Now notice he didn't say, I'm finished, but it is finished, as if some enormous task had now been accomplished. And that's precisely what the cross and Christ represents, that the real ultimate work has been accomplished. Jesus, in some way that we can't unpack in detail now, but in some mysterious and glorious way, has taken the real work. He's done the hardest day's work. From nine in the morning till three in the afternoon on the cross in Jerusalem in 30 AD, April time, he nailed it. He got nailed and he nailed it. He absolutely accomplished the vital work for all human beings. And therefore the work, a particular kind of work, is finished. Now, I need to say this carefully because it's complicated, but why is it that some of us are so stressed in our work? 
Why is it that some of us take on far too much work? Why is it that we feel like we've never finished or accomplished anything in our work? Well, there may be many reasons for that. That's why I say it's complicated. But one of the reasons may be this, that in our work, we are still trying to prove ourselves. Our work is not just work, it is an identity for us. And we've taken on the burden of trying to prove ourselves in the work, in the world, pay for ourselves and make our way. In other words, instead of resting in the finished work of Jesus, we're trying to shoulder the weight that he carried and prove ourselves. Now that can become a crushing weight that overwhelms us. In other words, it's not just the task that our hands are doing, it's the burden that we're carrying to try and prove ourselves in the, in the world. You know, there's a much better way than this. Tim Keller, in his really helpful book on this subject, he says this, For many of us, being productive becomes an attempt at redemption. That is, through our work, we try to build our worth, security, and meaning. Does anyone resonate with that? I know I do. There are times where I'm striving and I'm working too hard and the motive behind it is not always a good one. Sometimes it's because I want to impress or I want to prove myself. In other words, I'm shouldering the weight that Jesus carried when he cried out, it is finished. It was that Andrew Ollerton might know there's nothing you have to do to prove yourself in this world. There's nothing you have to do to earn your way to God. It's all been accomplished already. We need to work from a place of rest in the finished work of Jesus. I mean, think about this in in the creation story and then in the salvation story. Back to creation, God worked for the first six days to develop and build this world. And on the final day, he created human beings. So think about this. What was the first full day in the world for those human beings? What was day seven? Their first day in the world was what? A day off. (laughs) Isn't that remarkable? I was thinking about this. They wake up the first morning on planet Earth and it's like, have a day off. Why? Well, because the principles being established start by resting in the work that God has already done. And then from a place of rest, go out and work in the world without all the stress. Amen? That's how it worked in creation and that's how it works in salvation. We are here today. Today, Sunday, is actually the first day of the week. Have a good sit down on the first day of the week and rest in the finished work of Jesus. He's already nailed it. And from that place of peace, without all the stress of needing to prove yourself, just go out and partner with God for the rest of the week, working from a place of rest. Amen? Christ, the work is finished. Now then we come to the church. This is now our chapter of the story. Church, work is worship. We skip on to church, work is worship. Having found our rest in Jesus Christ, having found our rest in him, our work is now us going out from a place of rest to partner with him in the world. And this is where we come to the key verse in our series. Paul, therefore, speaks to Christians who've received the work of Jesus, are now committed to their jobs and their tasks in the world, and he says this, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Now what might this mean practically? What does it mean for a human being to receive the finished work of Jesus and from that place of rest to go out into the world, not just serving your earthly boss 
or the organization you work for, and not just trying to get a pay packet at the end of the month or the week, but actually working for Jesus. What does that look like? Well, we've got one Kingsgate example. Beck's story is going to play out on the screen. Just to give us an example of one person who's taking this vision out into the world. Take a look at this. Hi, I'm Bex. Um, I work as a deputy sister in um, Peterborough City Hospital in the emergency department. Been there for about eight or nine years. It's the craziest job that I've ever done. Um, there's there's different units within the department, and when I'm on shift, I'm normally in charge of one of those areas. Um, yeah, so we we deal with. Um, pre-birth and post-death, we deal with all generations, we deal with broken bones through trauma but we deal with broken emotions as well, we deal with um, vulnerable people and their um, relatives. I love God and I love his people but in my workplace I'm very limited to what I'm allowed to say but I can still reveal God to them by the way that I act towards them. So I'm also praying for um, patients that I'm going to meet and their relatives as well um, that I'm not going to just see their ailment that they've come in with, you know, their split lip or their limp or the fact that they've got shortness of breath but I see you know, who God sees. Um, and in that, I can come from a different position. So I'm not just seeing things from, um, and dealing with them from a clinical or medical perspective, but I can look at them from a God perspective. I, I can imagine doing what I do, whether that be at home or whether that be at work. We, you know, I couldn't imagine doing it on my own without God's strength, without his wisdom and without his discernment. Wasn't that great? Give Bex a hand. Thank you so much, Bex, for telling your story, because I love the idea that she's not just working for the NHS, she's not just a parent, she is doing all these things and serving in the church for Christ. Whatever you do, I love the little phrase she had there, that she is seeing her work, not just from a clinical perspective, but if you like, from a Christ perspective. She's working for Jesus. Now, this is what Paul is getting at in this passage then. I want to just highlight two little phrases that might help. Whatever you do, you work for Christ and you work with Christ. Firstly, we work for Christ. Paul's writing here to Christian slaves in an ancient world where their environment of work would have been tough and their bosses, masters, could have been particularly tough. And yet he says, I want to impart a vision to you that as you go to work, as you live in the world of work, You're not just serving the person that you can see, you're working for Christ. Well, this changes our attitude, doesn't it? This gives Christians a distinct vision. Everything is in color when we're working in everything we do. Whatever we do is is done for Jesus Christ. In other words, it's less about what you do and more about who you do it for. Wouldn't you agree that even the most menial tasks are important holy callings if you're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I actually tried it. This is powerful thought. Apply this to your work. It's very powerful. I mean, you only have to go back over the centuries and realize that Christians who've really got this become incredibly productive and influential within society because the vision that they carry has a level of motivation and integrity way beyond anything that a salary can offer you. Amen? 
It's powerful stuff. I actually tried this out on my children the other day. We had them washing the car, and they'd sort of done that thing where you throw a bucket of water over it, have a bit of fun, and say it's clean. And I said, well, look, you need to do your jobs as if Jesus is going to drive this car, right? And this was very, I, I realized how well this can work. Um, and I would encourage you to try it, right? Because it, you could see the little look in their face. I mean, as well as a little bit of surprise and fright at the thought, there was also this sense of, well, actually, that does change the quality of job we need to deliver, right? The car got a little bit cleaner as a result of that theology being imparted. Give it a go. But the point is real. It's not just for kids. It's for all of us, right? We do our jobs for Jesus, not just for our earthly masters, but we work for Christ. And that means we carry a certain integrity. What does Paul say? Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. And he goes on to make the point, whether anyone is watching or not, whether you've been clocked in or there's any kind of electronic surveillance going on or not, you're doing the job for Jesus. So do it with everything you've got to the highest level of your ability and with integrity and purity, honesty in the innermost parts. We work for Christ. And then secondly, we work with Christ. Not just that we work for Christ, we work with Christ. And this is very important because I wouldn't want you to get the impression that Jesus is another form of surveillance. You know, that he's like another CCTV camera making sure you're busy at work. Look busy, Jesus is watching. That, that isn't the message, okay? The message is not that he's a surveillance camera. The idea of this text and of the whole of scripture is this. God values your work. That's where we started and he wants to help you with it. And prosper you in it. He wants to, the idea of calling, work as a calling, is that he, it's his idea and he sends you out into it and he understands your world. Even if you're at the most cutting edge of digital development, Jesus gets digital and financial and manual and medical. He is Lord of all creation. So as we go to work, we go sent by him and with his help. And we draw on that. I, I remember talking to a businesswoman who said that she'd learned the discipline in order to just get this into her head on a daily basis. As she opened the door of her office, she would say as she went in, good morning, Lord, as if he was already there in the office. And I love that idea. It's not that we're telling him, would you help me? He's there waiting to help us in our work. And so I encourage you, as we work for Christ and as we work with Christ, to invite Jesus, build in some margin to actively position yourself in your place of responsibility, whatever you do, to establish the presence of Jesus and invite him to help you. I think of a mother who had 19 children. That's a calling, if ever there was one. That's a vocation right there. She was called Susanna Wesley. The surname may be a bit of a clue here. And she used to, in order, I mean, if you've got 19 children, you've got to pray, right? So she used to kneel on the floor for half an hour a day and pull her apron over her head. And that was a sign to the kids not to disturb mum. And she prayed. And her, two of her boys particularly, had pretty big impact on English history because of a mother who understood this is a holy calling. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite Jesus into my parenting. I think of a doctor, a GP friend of mine, who's actually asked his secretary just to build in a couple of minutes extra margin between patients. And I know that's tough, but he's agreed it. And the reason is because he not only wants to look over the medical notes, but he wants to pray and ask Jesus for wisdom within his medical profession. I think of a, an architect, yeah. 
I think of an architect who was making the point to me as I was talking to him. He's a Christian and he said, I think God is into design and beauty and building things. So he prays over the plans of a new job every time because there's wisdom in Jesus for his work. We're not just working for Christ, we're working with Christ. We go into the world to partner with him. Now time has gone, but I want to just give you a little glimpse of where all this is headed. Our series on the resurrection and on our living hope, that series has, has foretold the climax of all world history, which is that this world is going to be raised and restored to its original glorious condition. We will receive resurrection bodies. And so our final landing point in this message is new creation. Work will again be glorious. Amen? We will experience ahead of us a reality where there are no more curses and nothing is broken and frustrating and fallen, but we will fully flourish in our work in the world. That hope lies ahead of us and is to inspire us because nothing that we do in this world is wasted because Jesus is alive. He calls us with new motivation, whatever the frustrations in this life, to look beyond those frustrations to where all this is headed. I think as I finish of a little short story that Tolkien, the author, um, J.R. Tolkien, told this, uh, wrote this additional story to the ones that we're familiar with, uh, like Lord of the Rings. He, he wrote this other little story. You'd think Tolkien was pretty satisfied with his work, wouldn't you? But he wasn't, and he felt the frustrations, in his case as an author, of not quite being able to deliver the vision that he felt he carried. And so he, he wrote this story that he entitled Leaf by Niggle. And it was the story of an artist called Niggle, and it deliberately called Niggle because work was a niggle for Niggle. <laughs> he was trying to paint a tree, but he just couldn't do it, and he felt so deeply frustrated. And when he died, he'd only achieved one leaf, and he wasn't even very happy with the leaf, right? He meant to paint a tree, and he'd achieved a leaf. Work was a niggle for Niggle. But beyond death, Tolkien tells the story as if he's now entered into the new creation. And there, as he enters into the new creation, he sees this. You can see a picture on the screen. These are the words um, by, uh, that Tolkien writes in this Leaf by Niggle. He says, Niggle looked up and fell off his bicycle. Before him stood the tree, his tree, but now finished. Not just finished, it had come alive. The leaves opening and the branches swaying in the breeze. Niggle gazed at the tree, lifted his arms and opened them wide and exclaimed, it's a gift, he cried, it's all a gift. And then Tolkien says this, all that was left undone was there, now glorious and complete. One day, folks, after the struggles and frustrations of this life, we will stand in a new creation where everything is once again restored and we will exclaim, it's a gift, and in the meantime, we are to rest in the finished work of Jesus that's accomplished it all and then partner with him. We work for Christ and we work with Christ, partnering in the world. In other words, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart for you are working for the Lord. Amen.